6. A. Andinumbria, like in Ocenza di Amola 1494-1550, Antimodio di Venti 1467-1523, adopted the Raphael type M method to the detriment of what native talent they may have possessed. Though about Timodio there is some doubt whether he adopted Raphael's type, or Raphael his type. Principal works, Florentines Fra Bartolomeo, Descent from the Cross Salvator Mundi Street Mark Penny, Madonnas and Prophets Uffizi, Other Pictures Florence Eckert, Louvre, Vienna Gal, Albert Nelly, Visitation Uffizi, Christ Magdalene Madonna Louvre, Trinity Madonna Florence Eckert, Annunciation Munich Gal, Fra Paulino, Works at San Spirito Siena, S. Domenico and S. Paolo Pistoia, Madonna Florence Eckert. Ugiardini, Madonna Uffizi, St. Catherine S.M. Novella Florence, Nativity Berlin, St. Catherine Bologna Gal, Granixide, Altarpieces Uffizi, Pinny, Akkad, Florence, Berlin and Munich Gals. Rydolfo di Irlandaio, S. Zenobio Pictures Uffizi, also Louvre and Berlin Gal, Andrea del Sardo, many pictures in Uffizi and Pinny, Louvre, Berlin, Dresden, Madrid, Nat, Gaulon, Frescos as an Unziad and the Skulls of Florence, Pontormo, Frescos and Unziad Florence, Visitation and Madonna Louvre, Portrait Berlin Gal Supper at Amos Florence Akkad, Other Works Uffizi, Francia Biggio, Frescos Courts of the Servi and Skulls of Florence, Bathsheba Dresden Gal Many Portraits in Louvre, Pinny, Berlin Gal, Michelangelo, Frescos Sistine Rome, Holy Family Uffizi, Daniele Dia Volterra, Frescos Hist. Of Cross Trinita de Monte Rome, Innocent Uffizi, Venusti, Frescos Castel San Angelo, S. Spirito Rome, Annunciation Street John Lateran Rome, Sebastiano del Piombo, Lazarus Nat, Gaulon, Pieta Viterbo, Fornarina Uffizi ascribed to a Raphael Fornarina and Christ bearing cross Berlin and Dresden Gals, Agatha Pinney, Visitation Louvre, Portrait Doria Gal Rome, Raphael, Marriage of Virgin Brera, Madonna and Vision of Night Nap. Gaulon. Madonna Street Michael and St. George Louver. Many Madonnas and Portraits in Uffizi. Pinny. Munich. Vienna. St. Petersburg. Madrid Gals. Sistine Madonna Dresden. Chief Frescos Vatican Rome. Romans. Giulio Romano. Frescos Solidi Constantino Vatican Rome with Francesco Penny after Raphael. Palazzo del T. Mantua. St. Stephen. S. Stefano Genoa. Holy Family Dresden Gal Other Works in Louvre, Nat, Gaulon, Penny, Uffizi, Primaticho, Works Attributed to Him Doubtful Scipio Louvre, Lady at Toilet and Venus Musee de Cluny, Giovanni di Udine, Decorations, Arabesques and Grotesques in Vatican Logia, Carina del Vega, Hist, of Joshua and David Vatican with Raphael, Frescos Trini de Monte and Castel S. Angelo Rone, Creation of Eves Marcello Rone, Sabatini, Adoration Naples Muse, Altar Pieces in Naples and Salerno Churches, Innocenza di Amola, Works in Bologna, Berlin and Munich Gals. Timodio di Vini, Church of the Pace Rhone after Raphael, Madonnas and Magdalene Brera, Akkad, of St. Luke Rhone, Bologna Gallas Domenico Urbino, Gabbia Cathedral, Chapter Ix, Italian Painting, The High Renaissance, 1500-1600, Continued, Books Recommended, the works on Italian art before mentioned and consult also the general bibliography PXV, Leonardo di Avianci and the Emilianesi, the third person in the great Florentine trinity of painters was Leonardo di Avianci 1450-1519.
the other two being Michelangelo and Raphael. He greatly influenced the school of Milan, and has usually been classed with the Milanese, yet he was educated in Florence, in the workshop of Verrocchio, and was so universal in thought and methods that he hardly belongs to any school. He has been named a realist, an idealist, a magician, a wizard, a dreamer, and finally a scientist, by different writers, yet he was none of these things while being all of them a full-rounded, universal man learned in many departments and excelling in whatever he undertook. He had the scientific and experimental way of looking at things, that is perhaps to be regretted, since it resulted in his experimenting with everything and completing little of anything. His different tastes and pursuits pulled him different ways, and his knowledge made him skeptical of his own powers. He pondered and thought how to reach up higher, how to penetrate deeper, how to realize more comprehensively, and in the end he gave up in despair. He could not fulfill his ideal of the head of Christ nor the head of Mona Lisa, and after years of labor he left them and finished. The problem of human life, the spirit, the world engrossed him, and all his creations seem impregnated with the psychological, the mystical, the unattainable, the hidden. He was no religionist, though painting the religious subject with feeling, he was not in any sense a classicist, nor had he any care for the antique marbles which he considered a study of nature at second hand. He was more in love with physical life without being an enthusiast over it. His regard for contours, rhythm of line, blend of light with shade, study of atmosphere, perspective, trees, animals, humanity, show that though he examined nature scientifically, he pictured it aesthetically. In his types there is much sweetness of soul, charm of disposition, dignity of mien, even grandeur and majesty of presence. His people we would like to know better. They are full of life, intelligence, sympathy. They have fascination of manner, winsomeness of mood, grace of bearing. We see this in his best-known work The Mona Lisa of the Louvre. It has much allurement of personal presence, with a depth and abundance of soul altogether charming. Technically, Leonardo was not a handler of the brush superior in any way to his Florentine contemporaries. He knew all the methods and mediums of the time and did much to establish oil painting among the Florentines, but he was never a painter like Titian, or even Correggio or Andrea del Sardo, a splendid draftsman, a man of invention, imagination, grace, elegance, and power. He nevertheless carried more by mental penetration and aesthetic sense than by his technical skill. He was one of the great men of the Renaissance, and deservedly holds a place in the front rank. Though Leonardo's accomplishment seems slight because of the little that is left to us, yet he had a great following not only among the Florentines but at Milan, where Vincenzo Foppa had started a school in the early Renaissance time. Leonardo was there for 14 years, and his artistic personality influenced many painters to adopt his type and methods. Bernardino Luini 1475-1532 was the most prominent of the disciples. He cultivated Leonardo's sentiment style, subjects, and composition in his middle period, but later on developed independence and originality. He came at a period of art when that earnestness of characterization which marked the early men was giving way to gracefulness of recitation, and that was the chief feature of his art, for that matter gracefulness and pathetic sweetness of mood, with purity of line and warmth of color characterized all the Milanese painters. The more prominent lights of the school were Salino Fluid 1495-1518 of whose work nothing authentic exists, Boltrophile 1467-1516, a painter of limitations but of much refinement and purity, 
and Marco Diagno 1470, 1530 a close follower of Leonardo, Solario 1458, 1515, probably became acquainted early with the Flemish mode of working practiced by Antomelo di Messina, but he afterward came under Leonardo's spell at Milan, he was a careful, refined painter, possessed of feeling and tenderness, producing pictures with enameled surfaces and much detail, Giant Pietrino Fluid 1520-1540 and Cesar di Sesto 1477-1523, were also of the Milanese school, the latter afterward falling under the Raphael influence, Gogonzio Ferrara 1481-1547, an exceptionally brilliant colorist and a painter of much distinction, was under Leonardo's influence at one time, and with the teachings of that master he mingled a little of Raphael in the type of face. He was an uneven painter, often excessive in sentiment, but at his best one of the most charming of the northern painters, Esodiolami and the Asidian Aniesi, Siena, alive in the 14th century to all that was stirring in art, in the 15th century was in complete eclipse, no painters of consequence emanating from there or being established there, in the 16th century there was a revival of art because of a northern painter settling there and building up a new school, this painter was Sodoma 1477. 1549. He was one of the best pupils of Leonardo di Avensi, a master of the human figure, handling it with much grace and charm of expression, but not so successful with groups or studied compositions, wherein he was inclined to headland over crowd space. He was afterward led off by the brilliant success of Raphael, and adopted something of that master style. His best work was done in fresco, though he did some easel pictures that had darkened very much through time. He was a friend of Raphael, and his portrait appears beside Raphael's in the latter painter's celebrated school of Athens. The pupils and followers of the Sienese school were not men of great strength. Picciotta 1474-1540, Girolamo della Picciotta 1477-1535, Perusi 1481-1536, a half-Lombard half-Umbrian painter of ability, and Beccafumi 1486-1551 were the principal lights. The influence of the school was slight. Ferrara and Biologianesi schools, the painters of these schools during the 16th century have usually been classed among the followers and imitators of Raphael, but not without some injustice. The influence of Raphael was great throughout central Italy, and the Ferraris and Bolognese felt it, but not to the extinction of their native thought and methods. Moreover, there was some influence in color coming from the Venetian school but again not to the entire extinction of Ferrari's individuality. Dasso Bossi 1479-1541, that Ferrara, a pupil of Lorenzo Costa, was the chief painter of the time, and he showed more of Giorgione in color and light and shade than anyone else, yet he never abandoned the yellows, greens, and reds peculiar to Ferrara, and both he and Garofolo were strikingly original in their background landscapes. Garofolo 1481-1559 was a pupil of Penedy and Costa, who made several visits to her own and there fell in love with Raphael's work, which showed in a fondness for the sweep and flow of line, in the type of face adopted, and in the calmness of his many easel pictures. He was not so dramatic a painter as Dasso, and in addition he had certain mannerisms or earmarks, such as sootiness in his flesh tints and brightness in his yellows and greens, with dullness in his reds. He was always Ferraris in his landscapes and in the main characteristics of his technique. Mazzolino 1478-1528 was another of the school, probably a pupil of Penedy. He was an elaborate painter, 
fond of architectural backgrounds and glowing colors enlivened with gold in the highlights. Magna Cavallo 1484-1542 was a pupil of Francia at Bologna, but with much of Basso and Ferrara about him, he, in common with Imola, already mentioned, was indebted to the art of Raphael. Siorarigio at Parma, in Correggio 1494-1534 all the Boccaccio nature of the Renaissance came to the surface. It was indicated in Andrea del Sardo this nature worship but Correggio was the consummation. He was the fawn of the Renaissance. The painter with whom the beauty of the human is distinguished from the religious and the classic showed at its very strongest. Free animal spirits, laughing madonnas, raving nymphs, excited children of the wood, and angels of the sky pass and repass through his pictures in an atmosphere of pure sensuousness. They appeal to us not religiously, not historically, not intellectually, but sensuously and artistically through their rhythmic lines, their palpitating flesh, their beauty of color and in the light and atmosphere that surround them. He was less of a religionist than Andrea del Sardo. Religion and art was losing ground in his day, and the liberality and worldliness of its teachers appeared clearly enough in the decorations of the convent of St. Paul at Parma, where Correggio was allowed to paint mythological Dianas and Cupids in the place of saints and Madonnas. True enough, he painted the religious subject very often, but with the same spirit of life and joyousness as profane subjects. The classic subject seemed more appropriate to his spirit, and yet he knew and probably cared less about it than the religious subject. His Dianas and Ligas are only so in name, they have little of the Hellenic spirit about them, and for the sterner, heroic phases of classicism the lofty, the grand Correggio never essayed them. The things of the surf and the sweetness thereof seemed ever his aim. Women and children were beautiful to him in the same way that flowers and trees and skies and sunsets were beautiful. They were revelations of grace, charm, tenderness, light, shade, color. Simply to exist and be glad in the sunlight was sweetness to Correggio. He would have no sibyllous mystery, no prophetic austerity, no solemnity, no great intellectuality. He was no leader of a tragic chorus. The dramatic, the forceful, the powerful, were foreign to his mood. He was a singer of lyrics and pastorals, a lover of the material beauty about him and it is because he passed by the pietistic, the classic, the literary, and showed the beauty of physical life as an art motive that he is called the fawn of the Renaissance. The appellation is not inappropriate. How or why he came to take this course would be hard to determine. It was reflective of the times, but Correggio, so far as history tells us, had little to do with the movements and people of his age. He was born and lived and died near Parma, and is sometimes classed among the Bologna Ferrara painters but the reasons for the classification are not too strong. His education, masters, and influences are all shadowy and indefinite. He seems, from his drawing and composition, to have known something of Mantagna at Mantua, from his coloring something of Basso and Garofolo, especially in his straw yellows, from his early types and faces something of Costa and Francia, and his contours and light and shade indicate a knowledge of Leonardo's work but there is no positive certainty that he saw the work of any of these men. His drawing was faulty at times, but not obtrusively so, his color and brush work rich, vivacious, spirited, his light brilliant, warm, penetrating, his contours melting, graceful, his atmosphere omnipresent, enveloping, in composition he rather pushed a side line in favor of light and color. It was his technical peculiarity that he centralized his light and surrounded it by darks as a foil. 
and in this very feature he was one of the first men in Renaissance Italy to paint a picture for the purpose of weaving a scheme of lights and darks through a tapestry of rich colors, that is art for art's sake, and that, as will be seen further on, was the picture motive of the great Venetians, Correggio's immediate pupils and followers, like those of Raphael and Andrea del Sardo, did him small honor, as was usually the case in Renaissance art history they caught at the method and lost the spirit of the master, his son, Pomponio Allegri 1521-1593, was a painter of some mark without being in the front rank, Michelangelo Anselmi 1491-1554, though not a pupil, was an indifferent imitator of Correggio, Parmigianino 1504-1540, a mannered painter of some brilliancy, and of excellence in portraits, was perhaps the best of the immediate followers, it was not until after Correggio's death, and with the painters of the decadence, that his work was seriously taken up and followed, principal works, Emilianius e Leonardo di Avensi, Last Supper SM del Grace Milan in Ruins, Mona Lisa, Madonna with Saint and Badly Damaged Louvre, Adoration and Finished Uffizi, Angel at Left in Vericchio's Baptism Florence Dot Luini, Frescos Monastero Magier, 71 Fragments in Brera Milan, Church of the Pilgrims Sarna, SM di Leangeli Lugano, Altarpieces Duomo Como, Ambrosian Library Milan, Brera, Uffizi, Louvre, Madrid, St. Petersburg, and other galleries, Beltrafile, Madonna Louvre, Barbara Berlin Gal Madonna Nat, Gaulon, Fresco Convent of Esonofrio Rome ascribed to Diavensi, Marco Diagno, Archangels and other works Brera, Holy Family Madonna Louvre, Solario, Ex Homo Repose Poldi Pezzoli Gal Milan, Holy Family Brera, Madonna Portrait Louvre, Portrait Snap, Gaulon, Assumption Certosa of Pavia, Giant Pietrino, Magdalene Brera, Madonna S.C. Polcro Milan, Magdalene and Catherine Berlin Gal, Cesar Sesto, Madonna Brera, Magi Naples Muse. Gaudenzio Ferrara, Frescos Church of Pilgrims Serena, Other Pictures in Brera, Turin Gal S. Gaudenzio Novara, S. Chelso Milan, Essayan and Yessi Sodoma, Fresco's Convent of Saint and near Pienza, Benedictine Convent of Montolive du Magier, Alexander and Roxana Villa Farnesina Rome, S. Bernardino Palazzo Publico, S. Domenico Siena, Pictures Uffizi, Brera, Munich, Vienna Gals. Picurato, Ascension Visitation Siena Gal, Girolamo del Picot, Fresco's 3S Bernardino, Altarpieces S. Spirito and Siena Acad, Munich and Nat, Gaulon. Peruzzi, Fresco Fonda Just Siena, S. Onofrio, S. M. Della Pace Rome, Becafumi, St. Catherine St. Siena Acad, Frescos S. Bernardino Hospital and S. Martino Siena, Palazzo Doria Rome, Pitti, Berlin, Munich Gals, Ethiorare Ariasi and Biologianiasi Dasso Bossi, Many Works Ferrara Magna Gals, Duono S. Pietro Magna, Brera, Borghese, Doria, Berlin, Dresden, Vienna. Gals. Garofolo, Many Works Ferrara Churches and Galborghese, Campagdoglio, Louvre, Berlin, Dresden, Munich, Nat, Gaulon. Mazzolino, Ferrara, Berlin, Dresden, Louvre, Doria, Borghese, Pitti, Uffizi, and Nat, Gaulon. Magna Cavallo, Misericordia and Galbaloni, Louvre, Berlin, Dresden Gals, Pieramiesi Correggio. Frescos Convent of S. Paolo, S. Giovanni Evangelista, Duomo Parma, Altarpieces Dresden 4, Parma Gals, 
Lumber, Mythological Pictures and Eop Lumber, Danae Borghese, Lita Jupiter and Io Berlin, Venus Mercury and Cupid Nap, Gaulon, Ganymede Vienna Gal, Pomponio Allegri, Frescos Capella del Popolo Parma, Anselmi, Frescos as Giovanni Evangelista, Altarpieces Madonna della Steccata, Duomo, Gal Parma, Lumber, Parmigianino, Frescos Moses Steccata, as Giovanni Parma, Altarpieces Santa Margherita, Bologna Gal Madonna Penny, Portraits Uffizi, Vienna, Naples Muse, Other Works Dresden, Vienna, and Nat, Gaulon, Chapter X Italian Painting, The High Renaissance, 1500-1600, Continued, Books Recommended, The Works on Italian Art Before Mentioned and Also Consult General Bibliography, Page XV, The Venetian School, It was at Venice and with the Venetian painters of the 16th century that a new art motive was finally and fully adopted. This art motive was not religion, for though the religious subject was still largely used, the religious or pietistic belief was not with the Venetians any more than with Correggio. It was not a classic, antique, realistic, or naturalistic motive. The Venetians were interested in all phases of nature, and they were students of nature, but not students of truth for truth's sake. What they sought, primarily, was the light and shade on a nude shoulder, the delicate contours of a form. The flow and fall of silk or brocade, the richness of a robe, a scheme of color or of light, the character of a face, the majesty of a figure, they were seeking effects of line, light, color mere sensuous and pictorial effects, in which religion and classicism played secondary parts, they believed in art for art's sake, that painting was a creation, not an illustration, that it should exist by its pictorial beauties, not by its subject or story, no matter what their subjects. They invariably painted them so as to show the beauties they prized the highest. The Venetian conception was less austere, grand, intellectual, than pictorial, sensuous, concerning the beautiful as it appealed to the eye. And this was not a slight or unworthy conception. True it dealt with the fullness of material life, but regarded as it was by the Venetians a thing full-rounded, complete, harmonious, splendid it became a great ideal of existence. In technical expression color was the note of all the school, with hardly an exception. This in itself would seem to imply a lightness of spirit, for color is somehow associated in the popular mind with decorative deity, but nothing could be further removed from the Venetian school than triviality. Color was taken up with the greatest seriousness, and handled in such masses and with such dignified power that while it pleased it also awed the spectator, without having quite the severity of line. Some of the Venetian chromatic schemes rise in sublimity almost to the Sistine modelings of Michelangelo. We do not feel this so much in Giovanni Bellini. Fine in color as he was, he came too early for the full splendor, but he left many pupils who completed what he had inaugurated. The great Venetians, the most positive in influence upon his contemporaries of all the great Venetians was Giorgione 1477-1511. He died young and what few pictures by him are left to us have been so torn to pieces by historical criticism that at times one begins to doubt if there ever was such a painter. His different styles have been confused, and his pictures in consequence thereof attributed to followers instead of to the master. Painters change their styles, but seldom their original bent of mind. With Giorgione there was a lyric feeling as shown in music, the voluptuous swell of line, the melting tone of color, the sharp dash of light the undercurrent of atmosphere, all mingled for him into a radiant melody. He sought pure pictorial beauty and found it in everything of nature. He had little grasp of the purely intellectual, 
and the religious was something he dealt with in no strong devotional way. The fate, the concert, the fable, the legend, with a landscape setting, made a stronger appeal to him. More of a recorder than a thinker he was not the less a leader showing the way into that new Arcadian grove of pleasure whose inhabitants thought not of creeds and faiths and histories and literatures, but were content to elide the life that was sweet in its glow and warmth of color, its light, its shadows, its bending trees, and arching skies, a strong full of love grace, sober-minded, dignified, rationally happy with their lot. Giorgione portrayed them with an art infinite in variety and consummate in skill. Their least features under his brush seemed to glow like jewels, the sheen of armor and rich robe, a bare forearm, a nude bath, or loosened hair mere morsels of color and light all took on a new beauty. Even landscape with him became more significant. His master, Bellini, had been realistic enough in the details of trees and hills, but Giorgione grasped the meaning of landscape as an entirety, and rendered it with poetic breadth. Technically he adopted the oil medium brought to Venice by Antomelo di Messina introducing stumbling and glazing to obtain brilliancy and depth of color, of light and shade he was a master, and in atmosphere excellent, he, in common with all the Venetians, is sometimes said to be lacking in drawing, but that is the result of a misunderstanding, the Venetians never cared to accent line, choosing rather to model in masses of light and shadow and color, Giorgione was a superior man with the brush, but not quite up to his contemporary Titian, that is not surprising, for Titian 1477-1576 was the painter easily first in the whole range of Italian art. He was the first man in the history of painting to handle a brush with freedom, vigor, and gusto, and Titian's brush work was probably the least part of his genius, common mood, dignified, and often majestic in conception, learned beyond all others in his craft. He mingled thought, feeling, color, brush work into a one grand and glowing whole. He emphasized nothing yet elevated everything, in pure intellectual thought he was not so strong as Raphael, he never sought to make painting a vehicle for theological, literary, or classical ideas, his tale was largely of humanity under a religious or classical name, but a noble, majestic humanity, in his art dignified senators, stern dogs, and solemn ecclesiastics mingle with open-ed Madonnas, winning Ariadnes, and youthful Bacchuses, men and women they are truly, but the very noblest of the Italian race, the mountain race of the Cador country proud, active, glowing with life, the sea race of Venice worldly wise, full of character, luxurious in power, in himself he was an epitome of all the excellences of painting, he was everything, the sum of Venetian skill, the crowning genius of Renaissance art, he had force, power, invention, imagination, point of view, he had the infinite knowledge of nature and the infinite mastery of art, in addition, fortune smiled upon him as upon a favorite child. Trained in mind and hand he lived for ninety-nine years and worked unceasingly up to a few months of his death. His genius was great and his accomplishment equally so. He was celebrated and independent at thirty-five, though before that he showed something of the influence of Giorgione. After the death of Giorgione and his master, Bellini, Titian was the leader in Venice to the end of his long life and though having few scholars of importance his influence was spread through all North Italian painting, taking him for all in all. Perhaps it is not too much to say that he was the greatest painter known to history. If it were possible to describe that greatness in one word, that word would be, universality. He saw and painted that which was universal in its truth, the local and particular, the small and the accidental, 
were passed over for those great truths which belong to all the world of life. In this respect he was a veritable Shakespeare, with all the calmness and repose of one who overlooked the world from a lofty height. The restfulness and easy strength of Titian were not characteristics of his follower Tintorito 1518-1592. He was violent, headlong, impulsive, more impetuous than Michelangelo, and in some respects a strong reminder of him. He had not Michelangelo's austerity, and there was more clash and tumult and fire about him, but he had a command of line like the Florentine, and a way of hurling things, as seen in the fall of the damned. That reminds one of the last judgment of the Sistine. It was his aim to combine the line of Michelangelo and the color of Titian, but without reaching up to either of his models he produced a powerful amalgam of his own. He was one of the very great artists of the world, and the most rapid workman in the whole Renaissance period. There are today, after centuries of decay, fire, theft, and repainting, yards upon yards of Tintorito's canvases rotting upon the walls of the Venetian churches. He produced an enormous amount of work, and, what is to be regretted, much of it was contract work or experimental sketching. This has given his art a rather bad name, but judged by his best works in the Ducal Palace and the Academy at Venice, he will not be found lacking. Even in his masterpiece The Miracle of the Slave he is Il Furioso, as they used to call him, but his thunderbolt style is held in check by wonderful grace, strength of modeling, superb contrasts of light with shade and a coloring of flesh and robes not unworthy of the very greatest. He was a man who worked in the white heat of passion, with much imagination and invention. As a technician he sought difficulties rather than avoided them. There is some antagonism between form and color, but Tintorito tried to reconcile them. The result was sometimes clashing, but no one could have done better with them than he did. He was a fine draftsman, a good colorist, and a master of light. As a brushman he was a superior man but not equal to Titian. Paolo Veronese 1528-1588, the fourth great Venetian, did not follow the line direction set by Tintorito, but carried out the original color leaning of the school. He came a little later than Tintorito, and his art was a reflection of the advancing Renaissance, wherein simplicity was destined to lose itself in complexity, grandeur, and display. Paolo came on the very crest of the Renaissance wave, when art, risen to its greatest height, was gleaming in that transparent splendor that precedes the fall. The great bulk of his work had a large decorative motive behind it. Almost all of the late Venetian work was of that character, hence it was brilliant in color, elaborate in subject, and grand in scale. Splendid robes, hangings, furniture, architecture, jewels, armor, appeared everywhere, and not in flat, lusterless hues, but with that brilliancy which they possess in nature. Drapery gave way to clothing and texture painting was introduced even in the largest canvases, scenes from scripture and legend turned into grand pageants of Venetian glory, and the facial expression of the characters rather passed out in favor of telling masses of color to be seen at a distance upon wall or ceiling, it was pomp and glory carried to the highest pitch, but with all seriousness of mood and truthfulness in art, it was beyond Titian in variety, richness, ornament, facility, but it was perhaps below Titian in sentiment, sobriety, and depth of insight, Titian, with all his sensuous beauty, did appeal to the higher intelligence, while Paolo and his companions appealed more positively to the eye by luxurious color setting and magnificence of invention, the decadence came after Paolo, but not with him, his art was the most gorgeous of the Venetian school, and by many is ranked the highest of all, but perhaps it is better to say it was the height, 
those who came after brought about the decline by striving to imitate his splendor, and thereby falling into extravagance. These are the four great Venetians the men of first rank. Beside them and around them were many other painters, placed in the second rank, who in any other time or city would have held first place. Palma il Vecchio 1480-1528 was so excellent in many ways that it seems unjust to speak of him as a secondary painter. He was not, however, a great original mind, though in many respects a perfect painter. He was influenced by Bellini at first, and then by Giorgione. In subject there was nothing dramatic about him, and he carries chiefly by his portrayal of quiet, dignified, and beautiful Venetians under the names of saints and holy families. The street barber is an example of this, and one of the most matched.